All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back to the Red Rum and Red Wine special. (laughs) The YouTube recorded special. This is your host, Kristen. And your other host, Sarah. What's up, y'all? What's up? We are back to make up for the Mercury retrograde mistake. Mm -hmm. That was this week. Sorry. Why does life hate me, us? I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, these bits of life uh, really kick in that atheism for me. But (laughs) we are back and we are excited to do another Drunk Mysteries in History. Mm -hmm. So excited. Yay. Yay. Shall we jump into it? Hell yeah. Uh, All right. So we recorded an episode before this, but we're still drinking, hanging out. One, we're tipsy, and two, I think we're going to rock, paper, scissors right now. Yeah. So we're tipsy. We're going to rock, paper, scissors to see who tells their story first. And are we just going to do one out of one or like best two out of three? No, one out of one. Make it fun. Make it interesting. All right. Oh, and sorry, we already did an episode, so we kind of talked about this, but what are you drinking for those that don't know, Sarah? I am drinking my Walmart Cabernet Oak Leaf. Mm. They're cheap, $3 wine. Love my that favorite. cheap wine. Mm. Apparently you can get this wine at Bucky's. I don't know. This is uh, Teleria. Vineyards, Cabernet Sauvignon, mm-hmm. tastes like grape juice, and mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. Do you do you play like on three, on shoot, on go? One, two, three, shoot. Okay. <laughs> One, two, two three. Go. You already saw. <laughs> well, still. You won. So you just cut paper. Yeah. Yeah. But you're just a slow drunk. No, you are. <laughs> I won. I had already thrown my paper. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. This is why the first episode was recorded. All right. So alone. do you choose to go first <laughs> or second? I'm kind of done talking. Uh, yeah. For those that don't know. The episode that recorded beforehand is not out yet, but it will be coming out. So be excited. But in (laughs) our minds, we already recorded it. So we already drank that wine. So we're a little drunk. (laughs) So I already talked for a long time. I already drank a lot of wine. I want you to say some stuff. You go first. I'll say some stuff. I'll go first. Okay. Um, I'm 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 going to go out on a limb and say it. this time Ah! okay Kristen already knows what my story about so that pun was perfect and you guys will see why in just a moment okay I but first don't know the story but I know the pun that's all all I know she knows what it's about I need some wine and then we'll get into it okay cheers all right y'all so my story is about Vernon Florida also known as 
Nub City. And okay, so shut up. When I came across this story, I couldn't help but laugh because Nub City. Nub City. And I'm so okay, so um we will be talking about like this story is about an insurance scam amongst like a whole city, but it does involve amputees. So I just want you to know when I refer to Nub City or other names we come across, I'm these are names that I have not dubbed. They are in research and got recognized for a reason um, throughout history for this town. So when we giggle and laugh about it, we don't mean to offend any amputees, but you'll see in this story why they got these uh, nicknames yeah, and stuff. I so. I don't have a nub joke right now, but you know, I have a I feeling know. what's going on. Yeah, hmm, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm titillated. Tell me more. <laughs> All right. So this story is about a small town in Florida that got itself recognized for the amount of amputees, creating one of the strangest insurance fraud cases. Vernon is located in the Florida panhandle north of Panama City by about 25 miles. Mm-hmm. It's a small, remote swamp town, and from early on, the town never really boomed. So steam, there's like a nearby river, and steamboats once passed through, but stopped. Um, the town was also passed by the railroad system that was built nearby. It was just kind of forgotten about. It did have a local sawmill that provided some jobs, but eventually it was closed down. So Vernon was an economic strain, and honestly, it had become kind of depressed. So by the 1950s, it had a population of about 500 to 800 people. And um, like I said, it had become depressed. Depressed. Mm-hmm. So obviously, me when I dye my hair, I'm depressed. Yes. <laughs> so like I mentioned, the town was depressed. Obviously, financially, economically, there weren't many high-paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and by nineteen, the 1950s, it had a population of around 500 to 800 people. And because of like the depression the town was in, the residents started taking initiative to fix their money problems guess what they did i can only guess after nub city (laughs) (laughs) residents started to amputate themselves to claim insurance money dude like okay but what are we talking about where were they amputating was it like a finger was this a whole fucking i'm not just saying a few people did this not just like a limb but in the 50s, so in the 50s, the idea of getting some cash for a lost limb seemed attractive to a lot of people in Vernon and in the I do remember that on general. TV shows. By the early 60s, the Florida panhandle consisted of two-thirds of the claims made in the U.S. for loss of limbs. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. guess what little town was at the center of the Nub Club? Is it our number one listeners in Florida? Oh, God. Okay, and so when I say the Nub Club, again, I didn't make that up. It's not me making a Dude. joke. I they made it up for themselves. Funny. 
This is in all the research. <laughs> People who lost limbs in this area were a part of the Nub Club. <laughs> yes. Vernon was in the center of this controversy. Dude, I do think we actually have some listeners in Vernon. <laughs> Hi. No. <laughs> no. Hey. So, like, the late 50s, early 60s, at least 50 of the 700 residents of Vernon had become amputees. Um, and this is Whoa. what had earned them the nickname Nub City and Nub Club. Were any of them accidental? So, it's hard to say whether, you know, the first person of this little uh, trend or who, how many out of who these people were true loss of limb claims, but it's definitely said that most of them were uh, said to be self-inflicted. I wonder if this was like an accidental thing or if it was like influence. I've definitely seen this on TV. Like, yeah, no, I'm, uh, it's, it's said that most were self-inflicted. It's hard to tell how this, like, if the first person was like, I'm going to chop off to say, like, if it was a rumor around town, like, hey, I chopped my finger off and I got like 20 grand. Right. So do this too. Yeah. We don't know if like the first person who lost a limb and got insurance money out of it. We don't know if it was self-inflicted or actually accidental, but something started from then on where people just started realizing that limbs were worth money. <laughs> so Shit, it man. became attractive to Dude, the town of Vernon. I, I don't I don't think a limb loss would be attractive to me unless you were to hit the millions. Well, some people did. Mm. Yeah. Am I about to chop my leg off? Do I am I about to move to Vernon and lose You don't a even leg? have to go as far as a leg, dude. Anyways. Um oh, so a lot okay. of these <laughs> Okay, so when you wanna when you wanna visit my beach house? Okay. Hey. <laughs> hey, tell me what I gotta lose. Let's go. <laughs> um so a lot of a lot of these people claiming loss of limb insurance claims claimed that they happened with or during hunting and farming accidents garage mishaps, etc. Um, a lot were bold enough to shoot or saw their own limbs off. Oh. Yeah, for example, one man claimed that he shot his foot off because he mistook it for a squirrel. So, just shit like that, you know? I guess, if you... I guess. <laughs> Maybe it was by an acorn? I don't yeah. Uh, <laughs> Devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah. Many folks also took out mi- multiple policies for missing limbs, uh, mm-hmm. meaning like more than one limb is gone or uh, taking policies out on multiple insurance companies for one limb, um, either or or both. Apparently, a popular choice of limbs to get rid of, I guess you could say, were an arm and the opposite leg or foot. So, like, the right arm and the right leg, because that way it would be easier to use a crutch to walk with. <laughs> that was <laughs> at least noted, they thought it, so. At least they thought it through? 
Right? That was noted. So, like, hey, if you... Good for just, them. If, if you need to know, like, do the opposite, because yeah. you need to watch. Crutches are... <laughs> mm. Poor um, people that accidentally did on the same side and just had to live with that shit. I know. Well, but... So, one man is said to have taken claims out with 28 or 38 insurance companies... Yeah, so I'm unsure exactly what that means. Like, if he had multiple failed attempts, or he like, yeah, he went to different insurance companies and he got rejected, and maybe that's a total number. So he had multiple injuries, or if it was just one, because as you'll see, like this this whole thing doesn't last long with Vernon. So. Uh, but I could imagine. Yeah. These insurance claims did help some people reach to millionaire status. They really did uh, put, they went out on a limb and got some money back. Sarah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just I right mean Okay, so like I said, it didn't take insurance companies long to notice the discrepancies Mm -hmm. and the amount of insurance claims coming from that one area of the Florida panhandle. Sorry, I want to laugh so bad. Nub city. Nub nub city, (laughs) bitch. (laughs) If you'd like to make a complaint to your federal government... (laughs) It's up my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Okay, go. I'm so sorry. You're sorry. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. don't be sorry. I'm not really. I'm just saying. <laughs> you're not talking to me. You're talking to anyone who's watching, which is hopefully, hopefully somebody. <laughs> which is absolutely <laughs> negative to people. <laughs> Please. Okay. Um, like I said, insurance companies started to catch on, so many claimants were taken to court, but actually none of them were charged with fraud, because turns out it's really hard to convince a jury that somebody would, like, saw off their own foot. (laughs) It's really hard to convince a jury that somebody would mistake their foot for a squirrel. Or like, or like, um, somebody would accidentally. <laughs> uh, yeah, that someone would make a city out of nubs. <laughs> so it just like no one actually felt like somebody could do that. Which but it's false. Okay, <laughs> we're not laughing at the desperation that this city had to actually cut off fucking limbs to get revenue. It is just absolutely flabbergasting what people will do like the limits they will go to perceive financial the one happiness. person it had to have been an accidental of they were like yo dude yeah they just my, started they accidentally started a trend <laughs> i lost a pinky do you know how much money i got for that shit and then someone's like someone bro i don't need a pinky <laughs> right an insurance investigator john j healy John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Schmidt. This name is my name, name to you. 
Whenever I go out, people always shout, John there goes Chico, Chico Irishman. Oh no. That's what okay. I remember. Okay. Is that him? Yeah, so John J. Healy was sent to Vernon to check it out, you know, by insurance mm-hmm. agencies. And he wrote this in a report. To sit in your car on a sweltering summer evening on the main street of Nub City, watching anywhere from eight to a dozen cripples walking along the street, gives the place a, a ghoulish, eerie atmosphere. Oh, I could imagine, honestly. It's honestly like a zombie apocalypse <laughs> came, right. and it's like You're you had like to lose everywhere. a limb if you got bit, and that those are the survivors. <laughs> Yeah, so he definitely confirmed what all of the insurance companies kind of already knew or suspected. But like I said, no one ever got convicted of fraud or anything. So it was just kind of more to learn information. In the mid-60s, a decade-long insurance scheme in the town of Vernon came to a halt as many insurance companies refused to service the panhandle. So, after John J. Healy's investigation, insurance companies, all they could really do was just refuse service. And they knew that area of Florida was very suspicious, so they refused service. And in the mid-80s, the story of Nub City and the Nub Club grabbed the attention of filmmaker Errol Morris. Apparently, it had, like, come up in like the news or some articles or something it had just come up and it grabbed his attention and he said this about the nub club in vernon they literally became a fraction of themselves to become whole financially he was fascinated so he headed to vernon to create a documentary called nub city that would feature amputees and their stories but <laughs> the residents of <laughs> It's always a damn butt with you. (laughs) The residents of Vernon weren't so happy about this so-called film, okay? Mm -hmm. So apparently... (laughs) Apparently they threatened to kill Errol Morris. Okay. (laughs) That's aggressive. Right, right, because, well, I guess they just felt, like, very defensive of their uh, status and so, Errol, Mor- Errol Morris uh, changed the name and the concept of his film to Vernon, Florida. That features locals discussing gator hunting, turkey hunting, and the meaning of life. Um, casual. Super casual. Things. So, the direction went from, like, this way to that way. That way. Or, like, okay. that way. <laughs> and it's like exorcist normal human girl right. um, so aside from the locals that the film features the documentary itself is kind of odd uh, it's style gives off a certain gloomy vibe but also the framing and dead painting have like a comedic feel and that's just the way, like, the 
film the video goes in and out goes Mm -hmm. and also the so uh the documentary i watched i think it's on some streaming channels but i watched it on youtube and it's only about 30 minutes long and it's very interesting to watch i mean it's uh not gonna lie (laughs) i'm I might have, like, preferred his original, Errol Morris's original idea for his documentary, but the one that he ended up releasing featured locals from Vernon, and it was, like, just, like, different, like I said, because they were mentioning gator and turkey hunting, so it was, like, just a handful of different locals talking about hunting and the meaning of life, and it's a very, the almost atmosphere of the documentary is very calm and kind of eerie and the way it's um the way it's just shot is sorry it's just eerie so but the locals are also just as interesting because they have like that swamp floridian accent it's just weird and they're holding pitchforks and (laughs) Yeah, when you have so many locals that are like, this is weird, and you're, did they pay all 20 of them to say that, or is there actually something going on? I'm sure um, after the whole debacle of his original film idea, he had to maybe coerce or or really um, convince some people to partake in his documentary, because throughout the documentary, like I said, it's short. And there's um, maybe, like, three to five different people speaking that are locals. And it, you know, like, is interchangeable. It changes from each person back and forth. And they're talking about the different things. And um, it's different. It's slow-paced, you know. It's... uh, it's old. It came out in 1981. It released in 1981. So it's just like kind more of, of an organic styles. kind of view. Very organic. Mm-hmm. Good word, because I wouldn't have brought that up. But it is very organic. But like I said, it's about 30 minutes long. Uh, go check it out. <clears throat> and there's actually also a book about this story called Accidentally on Purpose. The Making oh. of a Personal Injury Underworld in America by Ken Dornstein or Dornstein. I'm sorry. Um, I did not read it. I wanted to, but because of time pur- purposes, I couldn't. But I'm sure it's there's this way more and better. <laughs> yeah, there's. I'm sure there's way more and better information in there. And so go check that out if you want to. And. Sweet. Um, so, again, I just want to remind everyone, like, I did not mean to offend you if you're an amputee. It's just uh, part of this insurance scandal story, and um, I did not, you know, come up with the names. They were in the research. So, that was the story of Vernon, Florida, a.k.a. Nub City, and the decade-long insurance scam. Dude. I just think of the movie with James Franco, and then I think that people actually did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people, like, 
would saw off their own arms and claimed like their tractor did it or something. Or like they shot off they shot off their own limb or foot or hand and claimed that the gun accidentally went off or that they thought it was a squirrel or and and provide free health insurance government contact contact your local city officials and your government to make life better maybe because they should fix your miserable town the fact that it but nowadays it does seem like a cute little town i don't i don't you know think it's still depressed um it does seem like it's the population says it can be up to a thousand usually and um so i haven't done much research on what vernon is up to nowadays but it does seem like it has progressed a little for that good for that well mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm so drunk <laughs> so yeah thank you sarah thank you for giving that great story with the amputees hmm. <laughs> how'd you like it was it um had you heard of that town or story before i actually heard it and as someone who uh, counting auditing i was interested in the aspect of how the fuck did no one not notice that these freaking people were amputating themselves for insurance money? Because in my mind, I'm like, okay, one, we're giving millions of dollars for not that big of extremities. Right. But well, they did is, catch on I'm not, that is neither yeah. here nor there. I'm not trying to tell you how much of a limb is worth what, but yeah. Well, uh, it is kind of funny. Just anyway. from working at I mean, a not funny. regular job. No, but just from working at a regular job, like, they don't offer that much. So, yeah. Mm-mm. It is kind of funny. I'm like, what was going on down there? I don't know. Maybe there were some insurance people even saying, like, hey. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Who like knows? Maybe a lot. We don't know. What's your story about? Nothing to do with that. Ah, but... <laughs> It does. Bzz. I think <laughs> before we took a break, I was buzzing. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, it's like, because of I'm wearing this shirt. It has a bumblebee on it. Um, what does it say? Hey, honey. Hey, honey. Hey, honey. <laughs> so, so mine cute. is actually about bees and their honey and how it led <gasps> to a really mysterious and tragic death oh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay well i worded it a little weird so the okay. honey was what was mysterious okay so you see what had happened was all started on a record hot summer day in july of 2010 i okay i'm from texas i really don't get how New York can get hotter than us, but mm-hmm. it was I guess hot, it was record so. high for them. But yeah, probably. like nineties, hundreds, <laughs> whatever. Not as hot, hot as mm-hmm. us, but um, beekeepers in the Red Hook area that they were around actually started to notice something strange going on with the hives. Ooh. And not just the hives, the bees. So. 
the bees would come back around sunset and god they'd just be the prettiest fucking red <gasps> but not only that um the honey in the hives was turning red too what so they started off not red and they just turned red yeah because wow. i mean obvious when bees naturally produce honey it's that like golden yellow like queer yeah. honey that you think of so when people started noticing this color they were obviously like are my bees okay <laughs> because the thing was that keeping bees in new york city like around the city areas had actually been banned since like i forgot to write the year down but i want to say it got lifted around like 2009 Hmm. So, no one was allowed to have bees because of, I guess, like, pollution concerns, certain whatever. Obviously, Probably some like people... endangerment or whatever. They stupid. just, like, they were worried that the pollutants that the bee had picked up would get into the honey. And that's why they didn't want it around and in the city. So New when York the city is polluted. Polluted. Yeah. So when the ban got lifted and bees were allowed into the city and suddenly this red honey starts popping up Ooh. people are a little concerned. Because they're oh. like, I told you this would happen. There are collapsing bee populations that are going to happen because of this. There is no way that they are going to be able to sustain themselves. You guys are fucking crazy. But whatever. They lifted the ban and a really hot summer came. And there was a huge lack of water and little to no nectar for these bees to consume. Mm. Right as soon as this ban happened. And all of these bees are going around. And they're just now allowed in the city. And now all of this red honey's popping Where around. Where did all the bees go? Where did all the bees go? Where is this red honey coming from? What the fuck is going on? Tim O'Neill. Biology middle school teacher. Hmm. Brooklyn college professor. An added values farm advocate. Which... This is basically a place that has, like, a public uh, garden and composting site. So he's the guy that wants to know the answers. He's the guy that's asking this. He's like, hey, I have a bee farm. I have honey. What the fuck is going on? He also has a blog called Burrow Bees. <laughs> and from what he... <laughs> if you're really interested, check it out. If you like bees. So... <clears throat> He has a blog, Burrow Bees, and he, what, from what he speculates, what his theory is, is that the bees are picking up what is called euthylene glycol, which is essentially motor fluids. So it's known. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. Well, motor fluids are known for having like a really taste sweet. I don't know why someone doesn't do anything about this, but, uh kids dogs and also bees are known for like going at this treat and um a nearby service deposit that actually has like mta buses i have no idea what that means but i guess it's like probably like via buses 
don't know. Uh, <laughs> happened to be right nearby. So, like, there was an area where bugs could have picked up, like, the transmission fluid, the antifreeze, gone, deposited it back into the honey, and then that was what was turning it red. So, as soon as O'Neill figured that out, he was like, yo, okay, people obviously don't eat the honey. It is full of toxins. Like, just recommendation, don't eat it. And it was not only hitting, like, his hive, it was hitting neighboring hives. So, this wasn't, like, some, oh, you're being overdramatic. Like, there was a hive that was 600 yards away in a separate island like, separated by a mass of water, where it was a food and farm consultant, Chris Mayo, and it had a hive of bees in the garden on Governor's Island, and their honey had started to turn red. So it was, like, a neighboring effect. So they're, like, is something, is it, like, contagious? Is something going on? Is Right. They need to know. It's kind of hard to say, like, how long it took for them to actually get the honey tested. And this is where it gets, it gets interesting, I promise. I'm, gonna, I'm done talking about honey. <laughs> so, people were actually baffled when, when the honey that O'Neill had took out of the honeycomb got tested. And it tested positive for FDNC red dye number 40. Yeah, exactly. Is that What's the that? stuff in Big Red? It, it's it's the stuff in all food products that basically make go red. It's in like dairy products. It's non-dairy products. It makes the M&Ms turn red. Like basically anything that is red that you consume, uh, you can find it in. Mm. Just a side note, you'd think it would make the honey taste good. It didn't. Uh, they said it actually <laughs> made it taste, like, really gross and metallic and they threw it out. And actually, like, a lot of people lost revenue because of this. But thankfully, it wasn't toxic. One of the guys even said he could, like, probably sell it just for the name of it because of what happens later on, probably. But mm. he didn't, and that's a good thing. <laughs> but... When they figured out that this was a red food dye, something clicked. Because not only does it do dairy products, it does the same kind of dye that's found in maraschino cherries. And there just happened to be a maraschino cherry company not that far down the block. Dell's maraschino factories over in Brooklyn, New York, which is owned by 57-year-old Arthur Mandela. Hmm. That was a fucking tongue twister. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why did they make it that factory? Or are you going to tell us? I'm sorry. Maraschino cherries. (laughs) (laughs) Did you already say that? Fuck. (laughs) it's okay it's okay it's okay i'm the same we do it we're just redo it (laughs) (laughs) no we keep it in (laughs) okay (laughs) what no one could have predicted though was the events that have unfolded once this discovery of this mysterious honey was made so a little bit behind 
Arthur Ralph Mandela. To everyone, he was the sweetest, quietest guy on earth. He was named after his grandfather, came from an Italian family from Naples. Uh, He was born in America, but had those strong, strong Italian roots. And they, so his grandfather originally started as a baker. And when they moved to America, he said, like, I want to do something that makes me not work seven days a week because as a baker, I work so much. So he opened a maraschino chop, cherry. (laughs) (laughs) He opened a maraschino. Okay, I'm sorry. It It took this episode for me to learn that I was pronouncing maraschino. I, what was I saying before? Maraschino. 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 I wouldn't even, there wasn't even an R in it. I'm not even joking. Machino. Machino. I don't know what you said to be honest. Machino. Machino sherries. <laughs> I said it exactly like that. I don't know. My whole perception on the world was changed by this episode. So when they moved to America, Arthur, his grandfather, and then his dad opened a small factory for maraschino cherries and so yeah he didn't want to be a baker he was like i don't want to work seven days a week so they opened that small factory and ended up working seven days plus it was just as much work mm-hmm. obviously if you want to make it big in america it was a really successful mom and pop shop they had a really good recipe um and arthur went off to be successful on his own he got a full ass scholarship hunty we are not kidding to New York University and got a degree in finance and then went on to pursue a job in investment uh, or a job at an investment firm he was like very much like a Wall Street kind of guy Nice, I guess for him I mean Great for him, dollar dollar bills. But y'all, y'all, everything changed <laughs> though when his uh, dad had a heart attack and suddenly passed away, and the grandfather had long since passed, and the company was kind of like left in shambles. So Arthur decided to come in and kind of sweep the company up, take it under his wing, and using his education and everything that he had learned from Wall Street, just really take the company and soar it from a mom-and-pop shop to a full-blown, like, fucking company. You know what I mean? Like, full-blown corporate. I mean, like, by 2014... He had invested over $7 million into, like, automation equipment for his company to basically have it, like, run itself. But don't don't let that think that he is some, like, corporate asshole because he's not. He, at oh. the same time, really cared for his employees. Even with this investment, he still really wanted employees to... Like, know that, hey, just because this investment was made, like, I still care about y'all. Like, he was very much, like, a hands-on CEO, a very Mm -hmm. nice guy. Yeah. He would give them his employees advances on salaries. 
He would get them loans if they needed them. He would hire ex-felons. Like, that was actually a majority of, like, the people that he would hire were people that needed a chance. And he would be the person to give them that chance. There was even a story about how he had hired a homeless man, provided him an advance for a deposit, and let him use a company truck to move into a new new apartment. Mm-hmm. So, like, all around fucking nice Good guy. guy. Well respected. Like, everyone loved him. His daughters would say that, like, yeah, sometimes he could be rough, but, like, when he was nice, he just forgot all about it. And regardless of, I guess, if he could be harsh emotionally, he always made sure to support them financially, which I know our last episode, we kind of said, like, you can't just support someone financially and, and make that be it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you have... It's not just about fucking money. You need to emotionally support that person as well. But, I mean, he made sure to at least financially support them so they didn't have to worry about that. And he was also a nice... Like, for the most part, he was a nice guy. Well, that's good. I mean... He was quiet, but he was nice. At least I mean, you can have that and shit. Some yeah. of us don't, so. <clears throat> exactly. I mean, I could have paid for my bills at least, but. <laughs> <laughs> Cops had another inside of this guy, though. Um, when in 2009, they started to hear rumors of a marijuana growth operation that was going on inside of the factory. So, obviously, when they heard the rumors, they tried to get a warrant. Could not, because there was nothing, like, substantial with it. Right. Thank the law. Um, <laughs> but once this red honey factor came into play, some interesting things started coming into play. So, what? under the guise of the Department of Environmental Protection looking for possible violations into dumping waste, they raided the factory on February 24th of 2015. And this came to the shock of everyone in the company, including Arthur himself. In oh. fact, there was a 15-year-old that Arthur had just hired the day before who said, like, when he saw this raid, he was like, I knew it was done. I knew it was over. So, in numbers, they searched the building until they found what appeared to be false walls in the storage room. And as they, I guess, kind of, like, pressed onto the walls to show that it was fake... The smell of weed wafted out. And officials told Arthur that because of this, they would automatically be sending this over so they could get a warrant so they could. Yeah, well, apparently get that the right gives them to probable cause. And... Well, apparently, like, they had to send a warrant to check inside because yeah. thankfully. They weren't there searching for that, but they were searching for that. So once they found it, they had to say, like, oh, we have probable cause now right. because they're fucking cowards and fucking assholes. But 
whatever. So, as soon as officials turned and told Arthur, like, hey, we smell this. We're going to go send a guy over and we're going to go get a warrant. Arthur immediately excused himself to the bathroom. Hmm. Now, as soon as he got inside the bathroom, he locked the door. And if anyone knocked and tried to lure him out, he refused. What the fuck? So once the officers realize what Arthur is doing, they begin to beg and persuade him to come out of the bathroom door. And Arthur completely ignores him up until the point where he asks solely for his sister Joanne to come up to the door. So the police oblige and they grab his sister Joanne and as soon as she gets to the door, Arthur simply asks for her to take care of his kids. And then after that, he proceeds to shoot himself in the head with a .357 Magnum pistol that he had been carrying in his ankle holster. Holy shit. Now when the raid had taken place, the police solely had a warrant to search the building. They did not have a warrant to search Arthur. And that gets important later on. Oh, damn. So, but... uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm no lawyer or whatever, but what if there's a loophole, like, Arthur is in the building, so he's part of the building? There's a statement that a judge makes, and I get really upset about it. Um, Maybe it's just me, and I'm totally okay with thinking that. That's my opinion, and I'm right to have it, so don't come for me in the fucking comments, but we'll get to it later. Um... But yeah, essentially the family thinks that the suicide is an act of protecting the family that I guess it would have been like detrimental to this family's success that they have experienced um, when the officers do eventually get a warrant to search behind the wall. They find a 2,500 square foot basement uh, with a well set up system of hydroponic cultivation that was under some LED growth lights. LED grow lights, sorry. Uh, It also, along with that, did have 400 pounds of harvested marijuana. Also did have $130,000 in cash and a small office with a desk uh, with books on plant husbandry and a copy of the World Encyclopedia of Organized Crime. Huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this this guy really, I mean, he, he was growing marijuana uh-huh. <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> there was nothing. <laughs> he was doing sketchy shit. I mean, uh-huh. am I mad about it? Mm, that's for you to determine they also found like a garage area that had a collection of vintage cars that included like Rolls Royces and Bentley so like a lot of money they said like I'm not gonna lie there was an article that I read but I didn't read too much into it I don't think that he was married uh, to the wife that he had the daughters with anymore 
but he did have like a model fiance I think around the time of his suicide he had a little bit of like a coke habit that was going on he really liked the flashier things in life and kind of like when they found this secret garage it kind of solidified everything of the rumors that were swirling around it it was basically a secret life um the daughters and everyone kind of pretended not pretended they said that they didn't know i i don't know if they didn't know i'm not we don't know who am i to say yeah it's up yeah Uh i there there isn't enough for me to make a speculation about it and i also don't want to get sued so (laughs) they had nothing to do with it (laughs) but it is kind of like it's your guess whether or not like after his death, there were a lot of lawsuits between, like, the sister through a lawsuit between, like, the daughters never gave the sister, Joanne, any I mean, money, the, even though... The dad slash husband or whatever. So, okay, so, like, when, right before the dad died, he told his sister, Joanne, hey, take care of my kids, and... Even with that being his last, like, testament, Joanne didn't see any money. Joanne didn't get a say into how the girls would raise the business. They just kind of, like, got full control over it. But then the girls will say in an article, like, how grateful they are that... Or not how grateful they are, but... Sorry. In an article, they say how the dad's death brought them closer to their family, I guess, sooner than it would have if he hadn't died. I don't know. It's, there's a lot, you will see, there's a lot of legal trouble. Yeah, I mean, so like it even, even the daughters try to sue the state for a wrongful death suit against the dad basically saying that the cops were responsible for checking the dad to make sure that he didn't have a gun to make sure that basically this didn't happen and the judge said that's fucking crazy it's the it's not the cops or let me find it it's and I quote not the cops or the cops had no duty to protect Mandela from suicide, which I think that was a silly statement for the judge to make because as a cop, it is your fucking duty to protect people. So, yeah, I mean, but sometimes, like, depending on the situation, like, I think once he got into the bathroom, yes, the cops did everything that they could. But I, I just think the way he worded it could have been better. But, yeah. Obviously, the cops did not know that he had a gun, and it was shown that, like, they did what they could when they realized the situation and what it was. How dire it was, yeah. Uh, But I guess the real mystery behind it is why Mandela really 
felt the need to shoot himself and commit suicide in the first place. It came as a shock and a real big like question mark to everyone because the sentence would have really only carried a two to three year time period. And really like when you think of his good standing with the community, when you think about how much people liked him, how much money he obviously had with his hidden Rolls Royces, Mm-hmm. They speculated that he just would have gone probation. He wouldn't have what even spent fuck? time in jail. I bet you he was doing or involved in like other dirty shit that he was paranoid he was getting caught for. Maybe. But he didn't know he was getting like caught for something super minor. Or maybe he thought like if he got caught with this stash. I mean, I don't know because he had enough money to cover it. It's so he ended up having like. 8 million in his account because later on, okay, so he, the company ends up getting charged with first degree criminal possession of marijuana, which is a felony. And then uh, they also get charged with failing to comply with laws relating to wastewater dumping, which is the, I don't even think I said it. So the bees were attracted to the maraschino cherry syrup that had like oh. leaked from the company into the water oh, yeah i don't think I'm you fucking said that. sorry that's why they yeah <laughs> i got really yeah that's <laughs> why they turned red that moment i was like okay and when do the bees turn red uh, you know we're 30 minutes in and i'm just now telling you i'm so sorry so yes they turned red from the syrup and that's why they were oh my god yeah <laughs> Welcome, Mercury's in retrograde. Are we surprised? No. Am I drunk? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, they uh, did it from the maraschino cherries, and that's yeah why they got all red. It gave them an illegal dumping little slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyways. So the company pled guilty to both of those uh, illegal dumping charges that caused the bees to turn red, as well as the marijuana fine and paid a total of 1.2 million but uh, Arthur had left like over 8 million for the family so they were obviously able to cover that charge as well as keep the company open which one of I think I had mentioned it earlier earlier before but uh, one of the guys that had gotten hired like the day before had said how he had watched the police go in and been like oh that this is my last day and I'm so upset because I was so excited for this opportunity but then he said it was closed for a total of two days and he got paid for those two days that it was closed and then it was opened and nothing fucking changed and he was like it was like he was taking yeah he said it was like he was taking care of me from the grave it was rough but in the end bees behaving like bees led to a sting of events that led to the end oh. of I'm sorry Shut up. <laughs> you get on to me and I'm like holy shit look at that one that one stung <laughs> it led to a sting of events that led to the death of one of Brooklyn's most beloved maraschino cherry makers damn Mm-hmm. Contacts down below cherries. if you know anyone who is sad or if you feel sad. We're here for you. <laughs> Email us as well. 
Like, Sorry, is that bad? I'm sad. Are you? We're not sponsored by any kind of fucking thing. She just wants to know. Better help, please sponsor us so I can get therapy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, that's all edited. No. Well, I mean, yeah, oh it's a God. fucking, right, it's a sad story. For that episode, it was fucking Sorry. buzzing, dude. Well, you did Christina Chebik. Obviously, yeah. people are really interested Obviously. in it. <laughs> the YouTube community is interested in it. I had to throw it out there. It's yeah, fucked, I enjoyed your but story. it's important. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Reddit user. Diana Raven who posted this on Reddit and gave me the suggestion suggestion nice yeah it was Thank about you. some freaking blue honey at an M&M factory and she was like by the way did you know and I was like no ma'am I did not know and here you go this is the story Thank you I hope I killed your buzz <laughs> as much as I killed mine reading this one for the first time because goddamn. Yeah. Damn. So, yeah, today you learned about Vernon, Florida, and their decade long amputee insurance scam, as well as some, some red bees. Today <laughs> you learned about some bees and amputees. Hey. So. We don't have an ending to drunk mysteries in history, but cheers if to you and cheers to being confused, and if you're just <laughs> as confused, be sure to follow, like, subscribe, comment, do all that stuff that makes you feel good, because it makes us feel just as good. And until next time, stay mysterious, stay drunk. And it's okay if you're a mishap, because we're mishaps. And if you're a mishap, just try and be an okay mishap. Just okay. Bye. Bye.